0: Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Broleson. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack. And maybe a bottle of wine. And let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone. Running far, far from home Till I am but skin and bone Oh episode five we made it we did the the thing one of these yeah whole hand (laughs) one of these days I'm gonna not know what episode we're on and that'll be the day that we've done too many episodes (laughs) Yeah, I already have lost track and we haven't even done a lot (laughs) we're recording a little bit later than we usually do good somebody got vaccinated (laughs) somebody being Haley yeah that is I yeah no I'm good uh it sucked yesterday morning so for all those listening I was vaccinated with my second Pfizer vaccination Sunday morning and I felt pretty okay until Sunday night then overnight I was super hot and sweaty and i had all the body aches and know which way that i laid in bed was comfortable and i had this massive headache and i just felt awful and that lasted until about 3 p.m monday so like what 12 24 hour kind of situation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. woke up today feeling like a million bucks so i'm all yeah. good <laughs> a lot of people i've talked to and i had that too but maybe not for as long maybe for like more like 12 hours I felt really really achy and really dizzy uh, but my poor sweet friend had uh, 101 fever for like two days straight so it's did she take Tylenol do you know yeah she did That's yeah a bummer yeah and she got Pfizer too so yeah. it my just, mom got Pfizer and my mom had a hard time keeping her temperature below 100 yeah with Tylenol yeah so but my mom also had covid so i was curious if that's like did your friend have covid before no my mom had covid she got i think she got moderna though um and she said she only felt weird for like four hours and then she was fine so i really think it it's just person it depends on the person it's very weird and they're saying younger people are being affected more Hmm. than older people so but I think nobody knows what's going on. No. <laughs> Did you see that Johnson & Johnson have paused their um, their vaccine? The no. The CDC paused theirs because it was six, six people out of however many thousands or mm-hmm. million, however many have already gotten the Johnson & Johnson, have gotten blood clots, like, I think, I forget the time frame. It was like 7 to 14 days after they've gotten the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Mm-hmm. They're all female, and they range between 18 and, I think, 50 or 60 wow. in age. And then, there's only six people. One of them died. One of them's in the hospital. Jeez. And so, I mean, six people out of the a, a large amount that has been vaccinated through Johnson & Johnson is very small percentage. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... Good on C D C for doing their due diligence and yeah being super careful and double checking everything before they keep rolling it out to people. Yeah. I knew Johnson and Johnson was sketch. I just knew it because they only have one. (laughs) There's only (laughs) one. Yeah. And uh I I don't remember where I saw but like the effectiveness rate of both Pfizer and Moderna are like around like 89 90 something really high mm-hmm. and then I feel like I've seen Johnson Johnson's like 50 60 uh-huh. so I'm like <laughs> I don't know
1: <laughs> yeah it's it.
0: like the kid that wanted to come hang with the cool kids and he mm-hmm. just like put on the newest Air Jordans or whatever and was like, hey, can yeah. I come hang out with you guys? <laughs> <laughs> like <sighs> stick stick to making no tears, shampoos for babies, Johnson & Johnson. Um, Stay in your yeah. lane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then also, so I was talking to my mom about that this morning, the Johnson & Johnson situation. Mm. And then she comes back with, did you see that the there's a factory in Baltimore. And for all the those native to Baltimore, we all know that it's Baltimore, but pronunciation <laughs> is key here. Um, that in Baltimore they uh had people making the wrong vaccine. Or it wasn't the wrong vaccine, they're making the vaccine wrong. Sorry, oh. I said that weird. But yeah, so they stopped that production line before it got out. <laughs> My mom told me that and I was like Did they send any to Florida? Because holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. It's all done by humans and humans make mistakes. And so mistakes are going to happen. That's how we got in this in the first place. So, yeah, it's very true. It's been a good time. So, yeah, uh, I'm glad that I'm vaccinated for sure. I feel a weight has been lifted. mm -hmm. I feel, um, you know, happy that. go see family now yeah it's really important yeah Uh, yeah it's good things so what are you drinking tonight well I now that Lent is over I am (laughs) able to drink during the weekdays I am drinking a Pinot Noir that I picked up from Winn-Dixie yes yes (laughs) God bless this Winn-Dixie have I told you about this Winn-Dixie up here Mm -hmm. oh god I'm not going to say it because it's going to take up way too much time, but you can go in thinking it's going to take you five minutes, but it's like an hour passes because mm-hmm. just shit is always hitting the fan there. Um, <laughs> but so <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's awful. Um, and so this is the menage a trois brand and it's the Pinot Noir. So. Menage trois. That's a good, like cheap wine. It is. It's my good, cheap go-to. If I want a little more pinky up, I go for the La Crema. There you go. Yeah, but they're all all great. Yeah, but those are my go-tos. Absolutely. So I actually do have a rule where I don't drink alcohol during the week, unless I know it's crazy because I love (laughs) alcohol. So (laughs) I know that's yeah. I I did the Lent alcohol and I enjoyed it. And I felt so much better about myself. And I think I'm going to stick with no alcohol during the week. Yeah, Um, But today, obviously I wanted it. I had an open bottle. I needed to finish it. Well, the thing is like, if it's during the week and I'm in a social drinking situation, then I nix the rules. Or if one of the ingredients in our dinner is wine and, you know, we have a bottle already open. Sometimes I break the rules there too, but Stuck with it today, even though I could have totally done it because social situation. (laughs) situation. So I'm actually drinking a prickly pear herbal tea with honey, and it's in the mug that you bought me. Oh! Wait. It's got cactus. Yes, it got. It's (laughs) It's a bunch of cactuses. So prickly pear in my prickly pear cactus mug. It says, can't touch this. And Haley bought this for me a while ago. I don't remember if it was Christmas or or what. Something something like that. Or my birthday or something. But it's still one of my favorite mugs because it's just so cute. Oh, I love Mm -hmm. it. I love that you still have that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought about it tonight when I was going through. I was like, what mug do I want? And I was like, got it. (laughs) I collect mugs, it's a thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I have an update on our friend the sewer woman. Oh, yeah. From last episode. So let me the tweaker. Pull The tweak. We don't know for sure if she was, you know, tweaking. So Yeah, you're right. I shouldn't assume. <laughs> Trying to be you nice here. Say. <laughs> so you I'm know what they pulling say when you assume things. Right, exactly. I am pulling up this article. It's from um, ABC News down in Pensacola. And it says the Florida woman claimed she was stuck in the sewer system for 20 days and survived, apparently, off of a can of ginger ale. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, confirmed tweaker? I mean... 20 days off of a can of ginger ale? They haven't tested her or they didn't test her. So they don't know for sure, like what was in her system that would lead her to that. But supposedly she was, you know, lost in these tunnels um, that she had swum in from that canal and was there for 20 days and midway through found a can of ginger ale, which she claims saved her life. Now, that's not enough, I think. <laughs> that's absolutely not enough. Um, I, don't, I need more. I mean, you can, I kind of looked this up earlier, but you can go look up like ginger ale n- nutrition facts. Canada Dry right. is this one. So the calories for this is 140. All right. That's, that's it. And most of that's sugar. Total carbs, 37. How much sugar? So 35 grams of sugar. So it's not a lot, Uh -uh. which is why I often use it as a mixer because it's, it's not bad for you at all. (laughs) I do love. Yeah. It's like the only soda I can drink. Uh, Yeah, me too. I'm not a big soda person. Yeah. So the other thing is it's a can of ginger ale is only 12 fluid ounces. That's not enough like liquid water to, to get you through that long. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, first of all, it's not a lot of liquid. Mm -hmm. Second of all, there's not a lot of nutritional value there. Mm -hmm. Third of all, 20 days. Yeah. Just gone for 20 days. Yeah. Well, and I'm still stuck on the water thing because I know you can survive without food for that long. Like you can. It sucks. You're going to be very weak, but you can. But yeah, I just, I don't believe it. I don't, I don't believe, believe it, it There's something else going on. Yeah. Well, and they say, here's, here's a quote from another article. Um, this is from channel six news. Okay. So they say that for someone to be down here for two or three weeks, there's some skepticism, especially if somebody is not having an adequate amount of liquids to drink food. So it would be very difficult to survive down there, but that's what she's telling officers right now. And that's all we have to go on unless we find the information or any other means of disproving that. That's where we are at this point. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's like just word of mouth. So whatever she says. Yeah. Right. And, and it's not like it's a criminal case, so they can't like take her in and test her. Yeah. Yeah. So the only way you could do that is like contact the boyfriend whose house she was at and be like, Hey, has she been gone? (laughs) (laughs) Has she been missing for 20 days or what? Like, why haven't you come forward? Why didn't he call that in? I know. That's what I want. Another thing. Because that's your girlfriend. You don't hear from her for 20 days. You don't think anything's wrong. Maybe he knocked her out and trapped her down there, and she just thought it was 20 days. Or maybe he drugged her. Or maybe she was really not even down there for 20 days. That's what I'm saying. Like, what if he drugged her
1: and yeah. threw her down
0: there? Yeah. And then she just lost all sense of time. Yeah. And, she, like, a day later, it passes, and she thought it's been, like, 20 days. What if this is an attempted murder? <laughs> and we've turned into a true crime podcast (laughs) (laughs) that has jumped way far ahead to some conclusions also (laughs) alleged 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 we're we're just you know we're we're just speculating, speculating wildly speculating Uh, Now you guys have gotten a little insight to how our brains (laughs) were connecting dots randomly. (laughs) Yeah. Fun fact. I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. That's pretty much all I listen to because they don't, there's not a lot of survival podcasts out there. So same. Yeah. Yeah. And I was talking to, okay, so I finally got my car back. Did I tell you that? No. After the rats trashed. Yeah. (laughs) My car was in the shop for a month and a half, and Mm -hmm. I finally got it back the other day, and um, I, like, when the rats ate the wiring, one of the nice things to have but wasn't a need was when you have your key fob in your hand, and Mm -hmm. your hand touches the car door handle, and it Mm -hmm. unlocks the car, and so, I would, like, I was telling somebody about this, and I was talking to them, like, I know that this is a luxury and I didn't realize how much I missed it until it was gone. And also I started thinking about it and I was like, what if I'm being chased by someone and like, I need to get to my car and fumbling for my keys in my purse, I can't find it. And I don't have the luxury of hitting the door handle to unlock my car and get in and get away. Yeah. And that's when they stopped me and they were like, I think you are listening to too many true crime podcasts. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would think groceries with that, not murder. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. yeah so great. Right, but also. As a woman, uh, you have huh. to think about these things, so, And I think that's what draws women to true crime. Because we're like, okay, how can I not get in this situation? Like, anyway. All right. Sidetracked so, for know. sure. That's fine. So yeah. What am I talking about? What were we, t- we were talking about two friends. <laughs> we talked about the lady that was in the storm drain for 20 oh, days. Ugh. Apparently, apparently she survived off of a can of Canada Dry or yeah. not even who knows who. knows? It who was knows? Was it was I don't ginger ale. I don't yeah. know what brand. So, maybe yeah. the No, it was just ginger ale. Yeah. Oh. So, something, something serious is uh, up there though cuz mm-hmm. that's that's all very not making sense. It's fishy. It's very very fishy. So another thing that I think we talked about beforehand, and I think that we kind of want to start doing is telling personal survival stories. So, or just fieldwork fail stories where you weren't necessarily like risking death, but maybe, you know, limb, (laughs) getting hurt. (laughs) Consciousness. Yeah. Um, So we know a lot of people out there who have gone in the great outdoors have had some close calls. So um, we will be asking our listeners to start sending in stories. Um, and then potentially we may be putting together, you know, maybe some mini episodes um, to talk about all these hometowns. Um, but today I'm going to share mine. And then the next episode, Haley's going to share one of hers. So um, I'll start. <laughs> um, So when I was um, working in Virginia, I was a fisheries tech for um, the Virginia Institute of Marine Science as um, that's kind of how Haley and I met. And so I was full-time on the staff there and we got um, a grant to help out with this project that an environmental mitigation group was doing not going to name any names here cuz I don't want, you know, anybody to get upset. But they were out of Maryland and they got hired by the Navy to come down to the Hampton Roads area and basically just go around and do biological sampling in all of the different naval base waters just to make sure that the Navy was environmentally compliant with whatever they wanted to build um, or do, et cetera. And it's, you know, something that even the Navy can't get away with nowadays, which is a good thing. So I got some subcontracted out to go with these guys, um, because, uh, they needed somebody who had endangered, an endangered species permit. So basically if they caught a sturgeon or a sea turtle, I would be there to make sure that everything was kosher. Um, if, you know, when they handled it, which we never caught any of that. So it's <laughs> basically there for no reason. Um, there's one day that we were offshore um, in the Atlantic. So we were off Virginia Beach and we were trawling. And basically, what a trawl does is it's a big net, really heavy wooden doors that kind of push the net open and that drags on the bottom of the seafloor and anything, any kind of fish that's on the bottom kind of gets scared into the net. And so one of the problems that you can have while you're trawling is it can get uh, snagged on things on the seafloor, which sometimes can get your boat hung up and if you can't pull it back up. So that's something that most fisheries people are pretty used to dealing with. In this specific circumstance, we were in a very small boat, 25 foot. I think the size of the James Caird from the Shackleton episodes is very small. And um, we're trawling and we hit a snag. And instead of trying to work the boat around with the currents to get it untangled, Our captain just decides to keep winding in the winch and hoping that the strength of the winch will, you know, pull the trawl free. And I'm like, I'm not the captain here, so, you know, whatever. All of a sudden, we start taking on water um, on the stern. So that's the back of the boat. And uh, basically, the water's coming in it's not going away and the waves are starting to get stronger because the wind has changed and so all of a sudden i'm seeing water coming up to the cabin of of the boat and i'm like you gotta cut that line and we gotta start bailing now otherwise we are sinking (laughs) so so me and the other techs start bailing uh water and the captain decides that yeah it would be smart to probably cut the winch line and we managed to stay afloat turns out that part of the reason why water was coming into the boat that quickly besides the fact that the winch was literally dragging us down to the seafloor um was the fact that the bilge pumps didn't work oh my god (laughs) so the bilge pumps weren't pumping water out of the hole (laughs) which they're supposed to um so it wasn't for that I mean, you know, maybe, maybe it was something that happened that day. I don't know, but yeah, I, I would check it. So it was just a group that wasn't as safety conscious as they should have been. Um, and they were there to try to get as much done as they could in the time allotted, which is what happens with a lot of those private groups. Um, uh, long story short, um, they were able to pick it up the next day after the tide had changed. All they did was attach a buoy to it um, so they could find it the next day. And so we went out and the tide had changed and they were able to just pull it back up. No problem. That's wild. That was the time I was almost on a sinking ship and had the wherewithal to actually tell somebody what to do. And it kind of saved our asses. So... I'm Good for you. Pretty <laughs> proud of that. <laughs> yeah. Seeing oh as gosh. I, I don't feel like an accomplished seaman at all, so. But um, you can put two and two together, like, hey, man, you're literally bringing this down to the water mm-hmm. instead of that up to us. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Something's got to give here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on the bright side, I don't think we were more than like five miles offshore, and the Coast Guard station was like pretty close. So, and it was yeah. summer. So the water wasn't cold. <laughs> but Still not a situation you would prefer to be in though. For sure. You no, know, I'd, I'd avoid it. <clears throat> so with that, we'd like to, you guys to send in your personal survival stories. It can be something you experienced or your friend or family member that you would like to share. Um, and you can send them to our email, which is... So... There is also a uh, there is a contact form on our website. If you go to mother nature will kill you podcast.com and go to contact us, it has that form that you can fill in with your name and your email and your text for the message. Um, but I also have Mother Nature will kill you podcast at gmail.com as an email if you would like to do that. And then you can slide into our DMs. Yes. And then you can slide into our DMs at <laughs> Mother Nature Will Kill You podcast on Instagram. And then if you want to do it through Twitter, which is MNWKY podcast. Okay. So send them in. We want to hear what weird shit has happened to you. <laughs> yeah. And it can be anything from a really long story to a really short story. Mm-hmm. And. So. It doesn't have to be something Shackleton-esque, you know. I feel like mine was a pretty small, isolated situation, but you know, this kind of stuff happens to a lot of people when they're on the field. And a lot of people I've talked to have these stories, and they don't think they're that big of a deal until they tell them. And I'm like, what? Yeah, (laughs) so it could be something funny.
1: Yes, I mean,
0: like, my cousin and I were really high outside of Yosemite one time, and we thought that someone was stalking us, but it just turns out they were going to the bathroom. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. there's that. <laughs> so, it can be something like that too. So, just send them in. We'll have a ton of fun. All right. So, shall we get cool. to the main story? Yeah, let's get to story time. What All are we right. talking about today? So, today <laughs> I have kind of a different story than some of the ones that we've been telling um and I am going to give us a um trigger warning on this one um and maybe I shouldn't have been doing that all along that would have been nice because I don't even know what this trigger warning is (laughs) (laughs) fuck Jillian (laughs) what is it so trigger (laughs) warning for like anything we're ever going to talk about ever we're going to be talking about some gross stuff like there will be grossness in pretty much any story that we talk about um but in this one in particular Because we are talking about a group of people um, of mixed sexes, so men and women, um, we're going to have some issues um, with sexual trauma and sexual assault. So if that's something that you don't want to hear being talked about at all, um, this may not be the episode for you. Um, That being said, I'm not going into detail, but it will be mentioned. To be fair, there is a trigger warning on this one. Thanks for that. Um, So today we're going to take kind of a tropical vacation to a tropical island um, where many people lost their lives, but some people managed to survive. So, little uh, since summer is right around the corner and we're all ready for vacay. I think, yeah someone uh, being held up with COVID everyone's ready for a vacay yeah uh, but I wouldn't want to go on this island vacation and uh you'll soon see why so where are we at okay so this story is a little combination of man versus nature or in this case rather woman versus nature but also women versus shitty shitty men um which is a classic tale story is, tale as old as time Song as old as rhyme. Shitty, shitty men. (laughs) So uh, when out in the wilderness, unlike men, women just don't just have to worry about the pitfalls of the environment. They also have to worry about super aggressive men who think because there are no laws, they can do whatever they want. And in some cases, it might be better to be alone if you're a woman and you're in a survival situation. So let's kind of dive in here we are at an island called clipperton island or clipperton atoll um it's really far out in the middle of the pacific ocean it's in the middle of fucking nowhere it's like thousands of miles away from the nearest land which i believe is mexico it looks like it from this map yeah so it's it's uh it's just you know 12 180 kilometers from Mexico, which is really far. And there's nothing else really super close to it. Um, And so it's only nine square kilometers. So it's also not very big. Um, And this island, if you go to the next picture, um, is a coral atoll or atoll. Is it atoll? So I I pronounce it atoll. And I believe the difference between an island and an atoll is that an island is surfaced through and through. Mm -hmm. And then an atoll has the lagoon in the middle. Like it's just a ring of sand. exactly yes no that's exactly right and the the reason why an atoll forms the way it is is basically it used to be a volcanic island um like most pacific islands are and after um the actual mountain volcano part of the island has eroded into the sea it basically leaves um these fringing coral reefs that used to surround the island and then the beach that the reefs created by erosion so that's why um it basically just looks like a big old onion ring <laughs> yeah it really it does it's a ring of sand in the middle of the ocean it's really yeah yeah and it looks like an onion ring yeah it's really bizarre and then there's a lagoon in the middle um mm-hmm. which can be fresh water, but often is not. Often it's salt water. Um, so it's a really unique kind of place. And not really, there's not a lot of life on the actual island itself. I don't um, think it's life-sustaining. Right. In this photo, I don't even see one tree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and that's that's very true for um, the Clipperton Atoll. Plus, yeah we're gonna get into that aren't we yeah we are <laughs> um death so there's not there's not much here and it's not close to anything but there was a mini war fought over it <laughs> that is so interesting mm-hmm. really yeah why uh because it has a lot of bird shit what yeah is that like some like high desired thing well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> so, back in the 1800s, um, uh, bird shit or guano, which is the more scientific, kosher name, I thought um, that was bat shit. Guano is, I think, any kind of flying animal shit. It seems. Oh, okay. Never yeah, because like um, you're right. It is also the word for lots and lots of bat shit. Yeah. Um, That's the only, that's the only time I've ever heard it referred to was as bad shit. So yeah, that's a good question. Is it only flying animals or is it just uh, any animal that produces a lot? (laughs) I don't know. Let's ask, let's ask the Google lady. (laughs) So guano is good for a lot of things, namely uh, fertilizer and explosives. Um, Oh, people wanted to blow shit up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So The nice thing about super isolated islands is that they're really, really hard for land-based predators to get to because they got to swim, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So seabirds often flock to these isolated places to lay their eggs, you know, in the thousands and then they become these big seabird rookeries. Um, So there's a lot of guano on, on this island, so much so that it reeks of ammonia during the dry season. Oh yeah so basically in the 1800s everybody found out about this place and uh france um the united states great britain and mexico all fought for control over the island um and basically what this just comprised of was like you know the french would get on the island they'd be like this is ours and then they're like this place kind of sucks and then they'd leave and then somebody else would come <laughs> and be like, this Island's ours. And then be like, Oh, I don't like living here and leave. But in 1906, um, Mexico decided to send a permanent colony of soldiers and their families to stake claim on the Island for sure. And oh, they allowed the Brits, the British um, to come and start a guano mining company and um, and the Brits Wouldn't said it they could just be scooping a guano scooping company. I guess, you No. Know. <laughs> like, like, there's no mine here. <laughs> like, <laughs> what the heck? You're just shoveling bird shit. Yeah, <laughs> mining makes it seem a lot more desirable, but it's really just shoveling bird shit. It is, it's all, it's all it is. Um, but the Brits claimed they didn't care who owned their island, they just wanted to mine. And so, I think Mexico had a deal with them that. You know, the British would give Mexico money to have the mine there if, and then Mexico, you know, controlled the island. So the Mexican colonists allowed them to set up their mine. So this is where our story begins. Which I did Google what guano is, and it refers to the excrement of seabirds and bats. Okay. So, so not like normal birds, but coastal ones. Interesting. So at this point, there were a hundred people on the island, um, including the British miners, the Mexican soldiers, and their families. Um, but here's the thing that we already kind of talked about about Clipperton Island. It's not really set up to support that number of people because it's a teeny tiny desert island. <laughs> yeah. So there really isn't much vegetation. Um, Apparently at the time there was a grove of coconut trees and low lying like scrub brush, but really not a lot of vegetation. And you can see that in the third slide, that that photo right there. There's really not anything (laughs) growing. (laughs) Um, And so there are however, seabirds, eggs and fish, but You can only survive on that for so long before you start getting scurvy from the lack of vitamin C. And we'll get into that later. I know we talked about it on our Shackleton episode as well, but I did some research and I I got, I got all of the skinny on scurvy. So I got everything you need to know. Did you look um, at images? Those images are nasty. Yeah. Thankfully, a lot of them were in black and white because it's like a old timey kind of problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Only pirates <laughs> deal with that shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so in addition to that issue, the only fresh water was from the lagoon, but only in the middle um, on the surface um, because most of the water was stagnant. And the bottom water was like really highly acidic. Oh my God. Yeah. So it's not really potable water, potable. It's potable. Is it potable? I always thought it was potable because you put it in a pot. You know, it's funny when you read these words and you never (laughs) say them out loud. Again, (laughs) words are hard. So the colony had to rely basically on catching and storing rainwater in order to get fresh water that didn't make people sick, So Yeah, you can't even boil that. Yeah. Like the other stuff. Mm-mm. Yeah, and it's like there was a wet season and a dry season on this island, so in the dry season, it's it's difficult, you know? Can I take a guess and say that they had the perfect timing and landed during the dry season? They were there for several years oh mm-hmm. never mind mm-hmm. <laughs> okay <laughs> it's all good um so the colony was led by a man named ramon arnod um, who was a soldier who was given the title governor of clipperton so it's easy to be the governor when there's not a lot of people there no so <laughs> and he is that man um on slide three cool cool He uh, had a cool hat yeah and a solid mustache yeah, seems like the that uh, the mustache style of that era. Mm-hmm. Very much. Got some shoulder pads. He's got shoulder pads for days. Yeah. <laughs> um, got, like a foot. Yeah, I mean it's a look, it's a vibe. Um, so he was accompanied by his wife Alicia, um, and their three kids, and he actually managed to keep the colony going for a while. Basically, you know they would get shipments of supplies from Mexico. Um, so question. Yeah. Sorry to, no, sorry it's gonna, to interrupt. It's but gonna, how, how would he get shipments if they're so far away? Like who's sending that letter? Mexico they're the ones who put them there Um, and so they were the ones sending ships um, on a regular. So Mexico just had like a routine like okay every Mm -hmm. two weeks we're going to send a ship over full of stuff. Exactly. So he wasn't really writing to them like hey we Mm -mm. need more stuff. Mm -mm. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So they I mean they absolutely knew that they were there and for a while they were committed to you know taking care of these people. Well that's cool. Yeah, which you know, if if you're going to be on a desert island with no resources, that's the only way you can really do it. Yeah, so Worked out for a while, I guess, huh? Yeah, because they arrived in 1906, yeah. um, and <laughs> so he kept the colony going through uh, 1910. Oh wow! Um, so that's that's like four years solid. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then the Mexican Revolution broke out. <laughs> oh shit. And supply ships stopped coming as frequently to Clipperton because they were dealing with a war. Obviously, there were issues with people wanting to overthrow the government. That kind of took precedence, as well That's as kind of similar to uh, the Ernest Shackleton story too, because World War One was going on during that time. Yeah. Yeah, um, and this takes place pretty much during the same time. <laughs> God, <laughs> what a um, time to go on an expedition. Yeah. So. So the supply ships were still coming, but not as frequently. So they had to kind of make ends meet in between, which they were able to do. However, in 1914, which if you remember was when Shackleton was sailing on his way down to Antarctica, mm-hmm. um, an American ship wrecked on the island. Um, and they were able to get a rescue ship to come quickly. I don't, I'm not really sure exactly how that happened with the technology of the time, but maybe they were expected to be somewhere and when they didn't show up, you know, a rescue team got sent for them. Um, Either that or they were able to get word through on these Mexican supply ships. That's another possibility. Um, So the Americans uh, were basically rescued and they advised the Mexican colonists to leave with them um, basically letting them know that the state of the world was pretty sketchy right now um, mm-hmm. as world war one was literally about to break out. So tensions in Europe were extremely high um, and the British miners were smart and decided to get the hell out of Dodge and left with the Americans. Um, but our nod refused and the community stayed put. So, and this is where we get into, like, the details of the story. Like, it's going to get worse from here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're probably wondering <laughs> why he refused to go with the Americans. Um, well, because when he was a younger officer um, in the Mexican military, he was convicted of desertion. Um, and base. so basically he deserted the military. So he left. So, yeah. Um, Basically, he was afraid that if he left his his post here, he would be kicked out of the army and, you know, ashamed and basically would become a pariah. Um, So, but in that decision, he basically condemned almost everyone to die on that island. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I get where he is coming from. You know, sometimes we make really dumb decisions when we're younger that come back to bite us in the butt and he was just trying to do the right thing. However, I, I think he wasn't fully aware that, you know, World War One was about to break out. So at some point in 1914, the supply ship stopped entirely. So oh, no one, wow. yeah, there, there was nothing coming to the island. Um, So they did have some vegetable gardens that they were growing in this, what I think is probably really sandy soil, although it's probably pretty well fertilized with all that guano. Mm -hmm. Um, But their vegetable gardens failed due basically to exposure to the elements and like the storms and stuff during the wet season. So like I said earlier, they still had birds and fish. But because they didn't have any really reliable source of vitamin C, um, other than that small strand of coconut trees, uh, people started to get scurvy. Um, And the coconut trees only produced like, you know, maybe six or seven coconuts a week, which not a lot, especially for at this point, it was around, I think, 50 ish people on the island still. Yeah, and that's not even a lot of coconut water. No, so not great. Um, So what is scurvy, (laughs) you (laughs) could ask. Scurvy is a disease basically caused by the lack of vitamin C, um, which is found in a lot of fruits and vegetables. It takes about a month of little to no vitamin C before the symptoms of this disease start to happen. So early symptoms include weakness and soreness specifically in the arms and legs um later though if it's not treated you start bleeding from everything Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you bleed. um you bleed from your gums your hairline your pores your eyeballs it's a it's a great time it's just awesome i never want to experience that oh yeah and because your glum gums are bleeding and they're also receding as well, you start losing your teeth. <laughs> ah, yeah, oh, man, I mean, yeah. I think I've told you before how I have a thing about teeth and people like ripping things with their teeth. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it makes my skin crawl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything with teeth just makes my skin crawl.
1: Ugh.
0: I actually was so stressed out the other night that I had one of those stress dreams where all my teeth fell out. That's gross. (laughs) I know. I hate those three. So um, in the late stages of scurvy, you get jaundice, um, generalized edema, or just swelling of your limbs, um, fever, convulsions, or seizures, and death. So you can die if you don't have enough vitamin C. So this is why you need a balanced diet, kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or at least take some vitamins. Yes. Um, So slowly, the colonists began dying. And eventually in 1915, there were only 24 people alive. This included 13 men, six women and six children, and a reclusive lighthouse caretaker, Victoriano Alvarez. So they did have a lighthouse on this island. um, And it's on that stone outcropping you see in that picture on slide three and if Mm -hmm. you go down to slide four there's a picture of the little lighthouse Mm -hmm. so he was keeping that lit um for basically probably for the resupply ship to find them (laughs) yeah um arnaud was included in the 24 people alive as well Um, So one day stuff was getting really desperate and they did see a ship really far offshore. So they weren't able to flag the ship down um, by fires or the lighthouse or whatever. Um, So Arnaud convinced um, the other three soldiers to get in the rowboat or sorry, the only third, sorry, the other 13 soldiers to get in the rowboat and row out to the ship for help. Um, But once they were out um, on the ocean, there was no sign of the ship. So the other soldiers thought Arnaud had seen an illusion and decided to try to overpower him. Um, Wow, that quick, huh? Oh yeah, there was, they were turning. They were turning real quick. So all of the wives watched helplessly on the shore as these dumb, angry men fought and fell overboard. All of them drowned in the intense reef surf that surrounded the island what oh yeah oh my god mm-hmm. that is <laughs> that's so dumb yeah <laughs> it's horrible it's yeah. horrible but it's dumb <gasps> well you know this happened a long time ago so we, we can we can make a little teeny a teeny bit of fun of of that situation because it's like really all of you <laughs> yeah like not one had the sense to be like hmm, that looks a little strong out there yeah. Maybe I won't go in. Yeah. Either that or like maybe we mutiny when we get back on shore. Yeah. Yeah. So Do you think they knew about rip currents back then? I'm sure they did, yeah. So suck. uh Arnaud's wife, Alicia, was super duper pregnant, by the way, while this was going on. And oh, really? literally, oh yeah. Um, they were still making babies because no one had condoms and that's what women were supposed to do back then, and why not make more more children to feed, you know, on this island? It seems like a good so idea. You can't really feed on this island. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's perfect. So literally two hours after this happened, uh, Alicia went into labor. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Oh yeah. And oh, then. Oh, yeah. While she was giving birth in one of their little cabins or cottages that they were living in, a hurricane showed up. So... Oh, no. Basically, during this hurricane, the remaining women and children went to the basement of one of the cottages and Alicia Arnaud gave birth to a son, angel while the hurricane raged. What a bummer. Yeah. You know that base isn't even that deep because they're at sea level. Right. Well, and I if the island flooded, they, they would have been screwed. But yeah, I, I guess maybe they call it a hurricane. It could have been a tropical storm or maybe the edge of a hurricane. I think. But in, on an island that small, everything probably, like a tropical storm, probably feels like a cat too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everyone did survive, though, so it must not have flooded That's too, okay. too badly, um, and they all emerged to find all of the colonies' cottages destroyed, so they had no shelter at this point, point. Um, and they were kind of forced to start rebuilding. Um, so, yeah. six women and six <laughs> children alive on a desert island, but what they didn't know is that there was one man still alive on the island. Oh... And he's the bad one. Yeah. And he also was the lighthouse keeper. Ugh, gross. Yeah, so Victoriano Alvarez. Uh, little is known about this man, other than that he had African heritage, which has subjected him to a lot of abuse back in Mexico. Um, that's not really an excuse, however, for what comes next. Um, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, being a victim of abuse doesn't mean that you get to be a shitty human being because a lot of people have been abused in one way or another or traumatized in one way or another and have Mm -hmm. not been a shitty human being. Yeah. So it's not an excuse. Um, And so here we're going to get into just a little bit of true crime. It's going to be a good time. Um, So... Ready for it. So immediately after the storm, he came down out of his lighthouse, uh, he collected all of the weapons, and threw them into the lagoon, except for one rifle that he kept for himself. So the women really had Because then the women wouldn't be able to defend themselves, and they wouldn't be able to... Oh. Oh. Yeah. Wow, what an asshole. Yeah. And that way they wouldn't be able to overpower him as well, because he could just turn the gun on, on them and... Yeah. So, yeah, basically, you know, he kept one rifle, threw the rest in the lagoon, and declared himself the king of the island, and everyone had to obey him, or else they would get killed or beaten. So, a good time. Um, He began enslaving the women. Um, One mother and daughter refused to submit to him, um, and they were raped and then killed. So oh god. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. So not not what you fucking want. Um after that the women oh. kept their rebelliousness to a minimum, basically to avoid as much abuse as they could. I always hate how it just happens to work out that the only one that survives is like the major asshole of the group. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. And it, it just because he wasn't under Arnaud's, you know, direct control because he wasn't a soldier. I think he was a civilian who chose this position. So Arnaud couldn't necessarily order him around, be like, get in the boat, because otherwise he would have died with the rest of them, probably. You know, whatever abuse he had in the past, it just does not excuse that kind of behavior at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for several months, Alvarez chose women to come live with him in the lighthouse, basically to be his personal sex slave. Uh, so, when he'd had enough of one, he'd trade in for another. Um, Alicia was a primary target of the abuse because he knew that she would try to flag down any ship or anyone from the outside world so she could save herself and all the other women. So Alvarez specifically targeted her for beatings, saying that he would kill her if a ship came into view. So Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. So they were living under constant stress. Yeah. And yeah. And at this point, he was controlling all of the resources as well. So basically the kids and the women were slowly being starved because he would take what a fucking asshole Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this shit went on for nearly two years um, because it wasn't enough that the women and children were suffering of starvation. They also had to be beaten and raped by the lone man that decided the rules of decency were thrown out the window. Um, While it's possible that Alvarez did legitimately have some sort of mental illness, potentially due to... The loneliness involved in lighthouse keeping. he knew exactly what he was doing. And mental illness also isn't an excuse for this kind of behavior. Yeah, Um, I don't buy that. It's not like he had a psychotic break and decided to, you know, hurt somebody.
1: It was
0: a long, calculated... mm -hmm. And it went on for two years. So in 1917, Alvarez decided that he was tired... Um, of his three girls that he had been rotating between and decided to pick Arnaud as his next, you know, live-in slave. What he didn't know is that Alicia Arnaud and Terza Randon, who was a young 20-year-old that Alvarez had also frequently targeted, um, they had concocted a plan. Good. I was going to ask if anyone had a plan because Mm -hmm. I have already concocted one in my brain. (laughs) it was like i'm already gonna be done with this situation yeah just like wait till he's fucking one of his girls and then like five of them storm in when he's like butt-ass naked and grab his gun and shoot him i mean to be fair they were all very very weak at this point oh okay yeah the vitamin c deficiency yeah yeah and yeah i i and he already killed two of them When it was Alicia's turn to head up to the lighthouse keeper's hut, she was accompanied by her seven-year-old son, Ramon, and Tirza. Alvarez was sitting outside cooking a seabird. When he saw the two women, he angrily tried to get Tirza to leave, but Tirza ran into the hut and grabbed his hammer. Upon Alicia's signal, she raised that bitch up and struck Alvarez in the skull. (laughs) Love it. Arnold's son ran into the hut and Alvarez had uh, gotten up and was going after Alicia with the ax. So he had gotten back up and even after that blow to the head and was going after Alicia with an ax, Alicia yelled for her son to grab the rifle um, and Tirza had gotten another swing on Alvarez with the hammer. He fell to the ground and Tirza grabbed a knife and stabbed the body until she was sure he was dead and probably past that because damn it she was full-on raging after two years of absolute yeah. abuse yeah i would too. yeah has it cut his dick off i read it yeah i mean if there was ever a time to be really fucked up that that yeah. would be it so um so the dictator of clipperton island was dead so uh-huh. yeah dictator <laughs> dictator. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> uh worse. So now it's time for another weird twist of fate. Um, So Alicia's son then spotted a ship on the horizon, and it was the USS Yorktown, which was an American gunboat patrolling the Pacific, um, basically looking for German U-boats during World War I. Um, Clipperton Island qualified as a potential hiding spot for the enemy. I don't know why there'd be German U-boats on the other side of Mexico, but you know, you there knew you. Are. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the Americans attempted to send a boat to shore to check out the island, but the rough waves from the surrounding reef sent them back to the ship, uh, the same waves that had killed all the men on the island two years earlier. So the women were devastated after watching this. They even discussed whether they should just shoot each other with the rifle or drown in the loon to end their misery. Um, but the Americans made a second attempt to reach the island and they did it this time. Um, They found the remaining women and children and they returned with the women to the settlement so that the women could collect the children and their belongings. And the Americans noted that the children were super small for their age due to experiencing malnutrition for so long. Um, Alicia's uh, two-year-old son, Angel, so the one who was born during the hurricane, um, was suffering from rickets and couldn't walk. Oh shit. Two. So we should have been able to walk by then. Um, in addition, the Americans thought the women were much older than they actually were. Um, and this was due to the nine years of hardship and starvation that they had experienced on the Island. So the captain assumed that Alicia was around 40 years old when in reality, she was only 29 Oh, my God. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. I'm so, sure the sun had a lot to do with it, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, giving birth when you're super mal- malnutrished. Malnourished. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um Probably takes a lot out of you, I would think. Yeah, i think so, for sure. And then having to breastfeed that kid when you don't have enough energy for yourself. Mm-hmm. So, not good. Yeah. So. Captain Peril and the navigator Lieutenant Care went up to the lighthouse to investigate, and they found the dead lighthouse keeper Alvarez. But when Alicia and Tirza told their story, Peril and Care vowed. Oh my god! What the fuck, Jillian? Don't do that to me. That's <laughs> what my happened, husband. Corey? You scared me. I was like a <laughs> murderer. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. I'm cl- I'm clammy. <laughs> so there's a window there's a window next to um. <laughs> and he's come he was coming home late today. He scared the shit out of me. Babe. That's funny. Corey, that was a good one. You we'll got me too. <laughs> 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 oh my God. I just look over and there's a man just smiling, hands pressed up to the window. Jesus. Uh, We're talking about murder. <laughs> I know. I know. Great timing. So. Ooh so a lot of I you can't wonder how you're feeling I'm I'm oh. good so a lot of you wonder why I give my husband a lot of shit it's because he does stuff like that to me so yeah so, I so love so his coworkers who are like me Jillian you give Corey a lot of- <laughs> this is why yes this is why um I love him he's my best friend but oh my god like that my had a heart like attack scare- each other too yes yes um oh man no that got me that got me from across states (laughs) 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 Uh, so uh they found the dead lighthouse keeper (laughs) and and but when (laughs) sorry it was all good i'm gonna meet myself while i breathe (laughs) okay um So, when Alicia and Tirza told their story, however, uh, Peril and Care vowed to keep the murder a secret in order to protect the women from the law, um, as well as any public scrutiny if they were deemed like that they were doing it in self defense. Um, So, they. So, how are they going to do that if he's stabbed like a thousand times? Who's going to know? no one's gonna know how will they know how will they know <laughs> nobody goes Nobody's to gonna know yeah that's true no one goes yeah. to this fucking island they probably bury yeah, that's true or yeah. put them out to sea whatever yeah and obviously the mexican government <laughs> didn't care about any of them because they stopped sending supply ships um so basically um peril and care knew that these women had killed the man in self-defense um, and so they kept their silence about this for 17 years, I think. Oh, yeah. So by that point, I think the women who either died or w- were allowing them to tell the story. Um, but basically they kept their silence on it, um, until it was a point where they, they felt that it, it was okay to talk about. Um, wow. So they, they saved the women from From a lot of scrutiny shout out to them yeah so there's some good guys and there's some bad guys in this story for sure um in the end the Yorktown rescued three women including Tirza and Alicia and eight children I think one of the other women died of scurvy or something um, in those two years so there were only three women left and then all of the children um including the ones that are the one that Alicia had birthed um Wow. So Alicia was reunited with her father uh, basically right as the ship returned. Her father had been searching for his daughter for years, even as the Mexican authorities had told him that all of the Clipperton Island colonists had died. Um, they didn't oh, even wow. check. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. So they just assumed they were all dead, which is really fucked up. <laughs> that is fucked up. Um, so they had a tear-filled reunion with Alicia and her now four children. Um, the story of the women of Clipperton Island was passed down through the west coast of Mexico, and in 1980, Ramon Arnold Jr., uh, who was Alicia's seven-year-old son, um, that helped him take down or helped her take down Alvarez. Um, he returned with Jacques Cousteau to film a TV spot about the story, even in spite of the trauma. So he was like in his eighties or nineties when he did this. Wow. Yeah. That's super neat. Mm-hmm. So you can go watch that. I'm sure on YouTube or somewhere you can find it. Um, it's really interesting. Uh, and then the last picture I have, it's like really grainy. It's the only picture I can really find, but It's a picture of the three women and the eight children um, upon their return to um, Mexico. Yeah. Which, I mean, I know it's grainy, but they they look okay. (laughs) Like, they don't look that old to me. I know. So. No, they don't. Yeah. But maybe they had gotten, you know, a little bit healthier on their voyage back because they were probably, you know, having enough nutrients and stuff. I'm shocked that most of the kids... Well, except for the one that was shot, uh, survived. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And that that daughter that was shot was actually considered one of the women. She was 13. Oh, you see, I would not have considered her that. I mean, yeah, we live in modern times, so that might be, yeah. <laughs> But yeah,, you know, technically, she was reproductively mature, so that was enough for everybody else. So, oh, gross. You know, gross. Um, so that the mom and daughter were technically like both considered women in this situation. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. And that time, then yeah, all of these kids survived. Mm-hmm. But that's wild because you would think their little bodies need a lot more. Yeah. Well, I mean, they at that point, um, they were probably able to get some vitamin C from those coconuts because they weren't splitting them between like dozens of people anymore. Oh, very true. So yeah. maybe maybe that the fact that everybody was dead was actually helping them out in that situation. You know what I just thought of um with this story. Mm. Have you seen those i don't even think they're really memes but it's just like photos of men doing stupid shit and it, the caption says this is why women live longer <laughs> <laughs> It's like <laughs> the part where they all like just get in a fight in the middle of the ocean and they all drown it's like yeah this is why women live longer <laughs> and this is not the only story i've heard of where like all the men die and like the women are like, I got this. It is one of the few stories I have where sexual assault gets involved. Um, But it's such a fascinating story to me because of just the weird coincidences and why they were even there in the first place because of the freaking bird. (laughs) What? Yeah. I just think that it's important to tell the story as well um, that women, are not only subjected to, you know, the forces of nature, in some cases we have to deal with men as well. And it's, it unfortunately seeps into every, every aspect of women's stories, which kind of sucks. Um, I will come at you later with more women's survival stories that do not include sexual assault. Um, But uh, this one just really fascinates me for some reason. I actually found out about it because I listened to the podcast lore and it's a really, really good podcast that talks about all of the spooky things of our past, uh, murders, just general like hauntings and like things like where do werewolves and vampires and stuff come from. But he also talks about human tragedy. Um, And Mm -hmm. so uh, once I heard the story, I was like, I have to talk about it. On this podcast mm-hmm. because it's just so fascinating, and I haven't heard it on any of the true crime podcasts, which oh, I think yeah? kind of falls into like a lot of different categories in that way. Um, so I just think it's a, it's an important story to tell um, oh, for sure, especially since this these are our first female survivors and our first uh, person of color survivors, and I think it's important yes. to tell those stories too. Yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah. usually it's just. Dumb white dudes going out to do stuff. <laughs> around and finding out. Yeah, but I mean, these women weren't necessarily here completely on their own will. Um, they were brought by their husbands, which mm-hmm. at the time, that's just kind of what you were supposed to do. And for a while it was fine, but, you know, shit hit the fan. Yeah. Yeah. So guano hit the fan. Guano. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Hey, there's the pun of the podcast. <laughs> there's the episode title. <laughs> the pun. Oh yeah. The <laughs> Guano hits the fan. I like it. Um, so no one has tried to live permanently on Clipperton since the rescue by the Yorktown, um, because the island is really poorly equipped for human habitation. Um, yeah, I was gonna say I don't blame them. Yeah. And there's such a bad history here that I just think people don't want to live there. Um, But researchers and scientists do uh, visit and stay on the island um, from time to time to study seabirds um, that call the island home. And a lot of their research is vital to understanding the role of the ocean on seabird populations, as well as recent research on plastic consumption by seabirds um, if they do consume plastic even that far out in the Pacific. So that was going to be my question actually because have you heard of oh shit I forget the name of this island but Midway, Midway Atoll is what it is and or Midway Island one of mm-hmm. the atoller or Island interchangeable but um, have you seen that one? Yeah I mean I know where Midway is. Um, so it so is Clipperton within like distance of that gyre that hits Midway, which is why all the plastic gets on that island. So it's a similar situation, I believe, cause Midway is up near the Hawaiian Islands. So that's the North Pacific subtropical gyre, which is actually what I was researching when I did that uh, research trip in the Pacific. Um, okay. So that one affects the Northern hemisphere, but there's also one in the Southern hemisphere, which is what I think would impact clipperton so yeah Yeah, there's basically in every ocean like so in both the atlantic and the pacific there's two patches each one in the north and then one in the south because there's just two gyres that circulate and the equator kind of breaks them off that's how i kind of understand it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i understand it the same way yeah so absolutely i mean it's the same problem is that the currents are basically bringing all that plastic from the coasts out into the middle of the ocean where it just circulates and turns into a big plasticky mess. Um, yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I also understand it to be that a large portion of that plastic photo degrades down to a point to where it's buoyant enough to float, but it's dense enough to sink. So it sits within like the top foot or six inches of the water column. Mm-hmm. And so like, So when you're going through like Google Earth, you don't see it because it's not at the surface. It's just a little bit below that all of these microplastics are still floating around out there. That's correct. Um, And also, uh, you don't see a lot of big plastic out there. Um, When I was out there, we mostly collected like thousands upon thousands of microplastics. And so the photodegradation plays into that as well. Sorry, Mm -hmm. I said that wrong. (laughs) Photodegradation. I'm a scientist. I probably got it. It's fine. (laughs) Um, And so it also breaks them down just into like smaller pieces that, and just like the wave action breaks them down into smaller pieces. Um, So you don't actually, it's not like everybody imagines like just a floating patch of plastic. It's more like you stick a cup in and you get like thousand pieces of small plastic in that cup, which Mm -hmm. is worse because it makes it much more digestible for all kinds of different species, you know, from very small bait fish all the way up to like baling whales who are filtering stuff out of the environment. Aren't they doing studies now about how much plastic humans are consuming through their seafood? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's frightening. Yeah, there's a collection of, it's PCBs and PAH. Bees, I believe they're chemical compounds that are apparently aren't very good for us. And basically, what happens is the concentration of these chemicals that are chemicals that come from plastic and the de- degradation of plastic um, are basically super concentrated in apex predators, um, because, you know, you start with a very small fish and they just eat a little bit of plastic. So they have a little bit of these compounds and then another fish eats like 10 of those fish. And then it has more Mm -hmm. of a concentration of those compounds. And then a human eats like 20 fish and then they have the highest concentration of those compounds that are maybe starting to affect people. So, um, yeah, that's, that's about uh, how well I can explain it off the top of my head. Yeah, I used it's to. Good though. Yeah, it's a uh, bio. I knew the word for this at some point in my life. Bioaccumulation. There <laughs> it, is. it is. That's what it's called. Ding, ding 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 ding. Yeah, I used to be really interested in this when I was an undergrad, um, because I did that trip in the Pacific. So mm-hmm. I used to read a lot of papers about it. So. Did you watch conspiracy? Yeah. *The Spear* The what? Seaspiracy, did you watch that on that? No. No. you're going to have a fit when you watch it. I purposely don't watch, watch it. I don't watch them because I am like, I already know it. And it's just going to make me depressed. <laughs> to be fair, I didn't watch the entire thing because I lost interest in it. I know. <laughs> a lot of marine biologists are having an issue with it because there are just a lot of false facts in it mm-hmm. um, and I personally didn't watch the whole thing through I lost interest in it and I lost interest because my brain literally said oh this is some guy who liked dolphins as a kid and wanted to save the dolphins and just kind of like made a documentary mm-hmm. about all of it he pretty much just goes on to make a documentary about why no one should eat seafood because it's unsustainable. And it's killing the environment. He shows, like, he goes to do these documentary interviews. And he goes to Asia on these commercial boats. And he goes where they round up the dolphins and slaughter them. And, like, all of those things that I'm sure you already know about, too. I've seen it before. And that's just, like, that's what happens out there. And it sucks, for sure. That's not all of how seafood is caught no and so that's not necessarily how fisheries work there are plenty of sustainable fisheries out there there are fisheries management plans and there are all of these other like stock assessments population dynamic studies that that exist and so i just from the little bit that i saw i just didn't think it was very um credible mm-hmm. i guess you could say mm-hmm. and then all of these other articles that I've seen come out since I've seen it are just a bunch of marine biologists bashing it essentially yeah so that that's why I said you would lose your shit when you watched it because <laughs> you would just be like this is so this is so wrong like yeah. <laughs> and you would not be able to handle it so yeah sounds like somebody with no biology experience decided to make make a documentary about something he didn't fully research or understand exactly it's someone Mm -hmm. that has no biology experience who liked marine biology as a kid Mm -hmm. and was fascinated by the charismatic megafauna yes and kind of dove deep into what's happening to our oceans Mm -hmm. and kind of said the claim to that the oceans are dying because of fisheries yeah fishing for seafood well and that that you should stop eating seafood because it's killing our oceans and it's like "Mm, climate change is kind of a thing too right yeah and it might be a bigger thing um and there's some fisheries that do a really good job of sustainability it really just depends on the, the species and the management um and for example fisheries in texas are actually pretty healthy compared to the rest of the country and it's it's like a nice pleasant surprise i'm not saying that we're free of any issues at all um because that's absolutely not true but um i was pleasantly surprised when i came down here uh to see how healthy a lot of the fisheries are here in the gulf of mexico which is exciting um speaking of good things um i think this is the part oh no i have to say my citation (laughs) i keep you do i keep forgetting to do this and then i have to patch it in because i'm a dummy Um, So my sources for this, um, I did look into Wikipedia as a base outline of the story um, of Clipperton Island, but then I also used um, an article called The Tyrant of Clipperton Island, and this is from the website Damn Interesting, and it was written by Marissa Brooke. And then I also used an article... called the tragedy at clipperton island from squallodivers.com and there's not a lot of articles written about this oh excuse me just because it's not a well-known story um because i had never heard it and so i listened to lore and so i guess i can use aaron mankey as a source as well um because he gave me information to do this uh, this story all right so i got my expectations out <laughs> proud of you. I really just need to start putting them at the end of the script because it's not like I don't want to do them. I just forget. Forget (laughs) Um, so let's talk about good things that happened to us this week or good things that we're excited for. Yeah. Why don't you go first? Okay. Um, so because a majority of our friends down here are vaccinated or half vaccinated Um, We threw a little uh, brunch on Sunday, which was fun, just for a few people. And we did this uh, when we lived in Virginia um, for our friends there. And we called it Euro brunch because um, Corey is half German. His mom is from Berlin. And so he's got all of these German food traditions, which I love. And then I, my family has really close friends um, who live in Finland. And so I like have some Finnish food traditions as well. So we just take German and Finnish uh, breakfast foods and combine them and then add some mimosas with some Texan peach wine. And you got, you know, our Euro brunch. (laughs) So wait, I love that. Yeah, that is so fun. Yeah, it's fun. So um, we had a really good time. I got pretty sunburned. Yeah, I you got a little tan line right there. I see it. Yeah, I didn't realize <laughs> how strong the sun was, um, but it is already April here, which means it's pretty hot. So um, yeah. so that was a good thing. And then my mom is coming in May, which I haven't seen her since before COVID. Um, we're both vaccinated, so we're going to have fun. And I'm really excited to see her. Yay! Yeah. yeah, that will be so fun. Mm-hmm. What about you? Well, one thing from last week that I was super stoked about was getting my second vaccination. Yeah. So, a o. Um, and then two weeks from now, I'll be fully vaccinated. And two weeks from now is also when I am going out to California to visit my family. So my mom, my dad, my brother, and my sister-in-law are all fully vaccinated. And. My brother's 30th birthday is at the beginning of May, and that just thankfully happens to be on a weekend. So I'm flying out to California, and my parents are coming out shortly after me, and then we're all going to hang out and have a family birthday set out there. So yeah, that's my one thing I'm looking forward to. Um, And in addition to that, this is going to be my first time meeting my nephew, the only nephew I have. (laughs) So Uh, Yeah, he's eight months old today. He'll be about eight and a half months old by the time I get to meet him. And it's just been a little weird, like, having a nephew and never meeting them yet. So I feel like typically you kind of meet them within the first couple of weeks or months of their life. And this little homie is about to be a year old soon. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Um, But, yes, I'm super excited about all of that. Glad yeah. that second vaccination's in, can start kind of moving forward with my life, be less stressed about some things, and then yeah. also see some family for once. Thank God. Yeah, I feel like everyone's coming out of like a year-long winter hibernation that we didn't mm-hmm. want to happen. You know, yeah. that's I'm I... probably gonna cry. I was mm-hmm. thinking about it. I was like, if I if I'm not crying the whole six-hour plane flight, I'm definitely gonna be like crying the whole time I meet my nephew be, yeah be like oh my god baby mm-hmm. yeah I cried when my mom te- I cried like a teeny bit like I teared up when my mom uh texted me and told me she was coming um because we weren't sure because it was very very short notice but mm-hmm. yeah it's just we haven't been able to see people um and specifically our families because we both live apart from them they both yeah both of our families live back in virginia so i haven't seen my brother in almost two years yeah and that's that's a long time for me to anyone that doesn't understand how much i see my brother (laughs) yeah Yeah. i see him definitely once a year for holidays it's good we're coming out of our cocoons with our vaccinations yeah yeah i'm i'm tired of this you know i i've supported being safe during this whole thing it doesn't mean that i'm not absolutely tired of it you know oh yeah so yeah i've pushed my limits a few times and i'm very grateful that uh nothing bad ever happened Mm -hmm. so i think it's about time to end the podcast um but first uh where can our listeners find us Yeah, if you guys want to check us out on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast, or you can find us on Twitter at MNWKY Podcast. And then you can also go online to our website at mothernaturewillkillyoupodcast.com. All of those platforms, you can slide us a DM or email through our form on our website and share with us your survival story. And if you're the lucky winner, we'll tell your story on our next podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Or one of the next ones, at least. Yeah. You still got to tell your survival story because I know yeah, you have. So. Wh- <laughs> I know. That's why I wanted you to go first this time. I was like, I need to think about what you want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> it's just part of being a field biologist, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Um, so I guess it's time to sign off. Well, stay safe, but most of all, Stay curious, explorers. (laughs) Bye-bye.